Since this episode was recorded, it's been reported that the U.S. killed Ayman al-Zawahiri, the head of al-Qaeda, in a counterterrorism operation inside of Kabul, Afghanistan. Kabul, of course, is the capital of Taliban-controlled Afghanistan. What you're about to listen to merely underscores the fact that Afghanistan is a safe haven for al-Qaeda and its top leadership. Afghanistan very likely will continue to be a safe haven for al-Qaeda and its top leaders. Zawahiri was sheltering inside of Afghanistan in Kabul, certainly with the express consent and support of senior Taliban leadership. It's very likely that Sirajun Haqqani, who is a one of two deputy Taliban emirs, as well as its interior minister, it's very likely that Sirajun Haqqani was supporting and sheltering Zawahiri. We will learn more details as the days go forward. I'm Bill Raggio. I'm a senior fellow at Foundation for Defense of Democracies and editor of FDD's Lone War Journal. And this is Generation Jihad, the podcast that covers the vast and complicated landscape of what used to be known as the global war on terror and what we now call the Long War. The anniversary of the Taliban takeover of Afghanistan is coming soon. Generation Jihad will be producing a series of podcasts on the history and impact of the U.S. decision to withdraw and the Taliban's takeover of Afghanistan. What does this mean for Afghanistan, for the region, and the world? We'll be releasing these podcasts over the next couple of weeks. Um, greatly looking forward to having them on. But today I'm going to fly solo and provide a brief update on where we are at in Afghanistan today. Um, there's been some important developments over the past month or so, and I need to put these into context for you to understand where we're going. There's three items that we're going to discuss. And then when you put all these together, you understand why the Taliban control of Afghanistan isn't just an Afghan problem. It's not just a regional problem, but it's a problem that it has the potential to affect the the entire world. Because the reality is, is that the situation today in Afghanistan is worse than it for the United States, for our national security, for counterterrorism efforts, is worse today than it was pre 9-11. Um, so the first news story that came out was that the state won't support resistance to the, to the Taliban, armed resistance to the Taliban. Then I'm going to discuss the lack of visibility and the limited will and ability to execute strikes inside of Afghanistan. And then third, uh, we'll discuss the state of the Taliban Al-Qaeda alliance and the importance of safe haven and why this is a threat uh, for us today. So first, um, state recently came out and said that it won't support any armed resistance to the Taliban. And instead, it encourages dialogue between the warring parties because – we all what we all witnessed over the last uh, several years dialogue with the Taliban um, has worked so well. Well, it's worked well for the Taliban and not for us, but then not for the Afghan people. So uh, several weeks ago, a State Department spokesman told uh, the news outlet, the Foreign Desk, that the U.S. will not provide assistance to anti to the anti-Taliban resistance. And I'm going to directly um, read the the quotes here from the the Foreign Desk. It's a great report. Um, here it is. Quote. We are monitoring the recent uptick in violence closely and call on all sides to exercise restraint and to engage. This is the only way that Afghanistan can 
front, can confront its many challenges. We want to see the emergence of a stable and sustainable political dispensation via peaceful means. We do not support organized violent opposition to the Taliban, and we, we, and we would discourage other powers from doing so as well. End quote. Uh, I think that speaks for itself. Um, if you have, if you haven't been watching Afghanistan closely, there is resistance to the Taliban, armed resistance to the Taliban that's cropped up. It's generally led by the Panjshiris and other groups that, uh, including former Afghan military officers and soldiers. They're operating generally in central and northern Afghanistan. And I'm seeing some reports in eastern Afghanistan. There's, there's two major groups. The first one is the National Resistance Front, and that's led by uh, the former son of Ahmad, or I'm um, the son of Ahmad, Ahmad Shah Massoud, who was the former leader of the Northern Alliance. Remember that two days prior to Al Qaeda, he was executed by Al, Al Qaeda's um, suicide bombers, who were described, who were disguised themselves as journalists, and uh, uh, Ahmed Massoud, his son, is currently in charge of the, the uh, National Resistance Front. They're primarily operating in Panjshir province, which is just north of Kabul, and as well as in Baglan province, particularly in and a district called Andarab. Um, they've been ambushing Taliban forces. There's been skirmishes. The Taliban has been forced to, um, re to send reinforcements. Uh, I would describe this activity right now as, as guerrilla activity. Um, I don't think we're at the point where they're, um, contesting control of specific districts at this moment. I'm sure the National Resistance Front would disagree with me on that, but we're not seeing them openly govern areas and preventing the Taliban from, from at least, you know, essentially ruling these areas. Um, so there's also another group called the Afghanistan Freedom Front. This is a, I think this group, there's not a lot of information about it, but I think this group is primarily made up of, uh, the, while, while the Panjshiris, they have an organization, a provincial organization and an ethnic heritage of mainly Tajiks. Um, the, uh, the Afghanistan Freedom Front seems to be made up of, of former military officers and soldiers, um, probably members of the National Director of Security and, and others who oppose Taliban resistance. And, and we're seeing them operate in northern and in, in eastern Afghanistan as well. I've seen reports of them operating in, in coast and Paktia. Uh, so these are the two prime groups. Uh, they are taking the fight to the Taliban. They, it's again, they have limited ability to do so. But they are doing it. Um, and this is, you know, I, I completely do disagree with the U.S. policy of not supporting a foreign uh, or a uh, a resistance inside of Afghanistan. It's organic. It's anti-Taliban. Um, we we have a strong interest in doing so because this gets to point number two. We have a lack of visibility in Afghanistan. So in December um, I know that's a long time away, but last December, uh, General McKenzie, the previous commander of U.S. Central Command, he admitted that our ability to see in Afghanistan, uh, to gather intelligence inside of Afghanistan, to understand what's happening there is one to two percent of what it was pre-withdrawal. Um, if you know the military and you understand how the military in cases like this tries to give you the best case scenario, um, that really means that our visibility is down to about a half a percent to 1%. Um, not that one to 2% is all that much better. Uh, 
And now I want to keep, and keep this. This is a really important point I'm going to make here that even when we were inside Afghanistan, our visibility on what the Taliban was doing and what Al Qaeda and other terrorists were doing was limited. And I always go back to, and I know we discussed this a lot, but to that raid on an Al Qaeda, two Al Qaeda training camps in Shurabak province, or I'm sorry, Shurabak district in Kandahar province. That raid took place in October 2015. The U.S. military, the, the, a general who was involved in the operations, he described this camp as one of the large, as, as the largest camp that they had seen since 9-11 that was run by Al-Qaeda. That was happening while the U.S. had significant troops and intelligence gathering capabilities inside of Afghanistan. The U.S. didn't discover this in an intelligence mission by looking for this. It came across it via another raid against uh, when they killed a senior Al-Qaeda leader in, I believe it was in Pakti or Paktika province, um, several months prior. They found information pointing to that camp, and then they conducted that raid. So while, you know, the, the point of all that, while we were in Afghanistan, we were limited in what we could see. And Al-Qaeda was openly, or not openly, but was operating a massive training facility in southern Afghanistan while we were president. Um, if our visibility is now down to a half to, or, two, you know, one to two percent, I'll give uh, General McKenzie the, the benefit of the doubt. If that's what it is, we can only imagining what's, we can only imagine what's happening now. Um, in order to counter this threat, the U.S. has, the U.S. military spent $19.5 billion on a, what it calls, and this is the official name of it, I'm not making this up, the Over the Horizon Counterterrorism Center. It's based in Dubai. It's manned by 100 plus military and intelligence personnel. And again, we've spent $19.5 billion, or it's budgeted to spend $19.5 billion um, in the next year, uh, to monitor what's happening in Afghanistan and to strike at Al Qaeda or Islamic State or other terror groups that are operating there. The results of this over the horizon counterterrorism center, um, if you have, if you can't tell already by my tone, we've conducted zero strikes against Al Qaeda or the Islamic State since we withdrew from Afghanistan in at the end of August in 2021. So we're nearly, we're a, almost uh, a one year to the date of the U.S. withdrawal. The U.S. has spent $19.5 billion on an over horizon counterterrorism center and, and it's committing a hundred personnel and it's had, it hasn't um, conducted a single strike to target terrorists, which we know are, gathering and are gaining steam in Afghanistan. And I'll get to that in the next point shortly. Why does this matter to the first point I made about supporting the resistance? Because prior to 9-11, um, on September 10th, 2001, the day before Al-Qaeda attacked us, there was a resistance in Afghanistan. It, the Northern Alliance, the, the Taliban was occupied and Al-Qaeda supported the Taliban efforts. They, they had to be dealing with this persistent threat of a resistance and that 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 impacts their ability to operate but it also gives us if we choose to take advantage of it visibility and what to the taliban and what other terrorist groups are are doing 
if we were supporting the resistance, we can be gathering information that they could be providing us on Taliban and Al-Qaeda activities. We can be making use of those networks that are operating in provinces, even if they're operating underground, that they can be gathering information on what the Taliban and what Al-Qaeda and other terrorist organizations are doing inside of Afghanistan. But since we won't support that resistance, we have completely blinded ourselves in what's happening in Afghanistan. Um, not, but not only did, you know, it would be ideal if this, this nascent resistance that's happening, that's going on right now can develop, um, areas that it in Afghanistan that it controls, because that could give us a potential foot, um, a uh, bridgehead into Afghanistan. Remember, we used uh, territory occupied by the Northern Alliance to go into Afghanistan to conduct our activity and depose the Taliban after 9-11 and hunt al-Qaeda. But we're choosing not to 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 support the resistance. Um, you know, look, and this is just my personal opinion here. The um, I think the Biden administration... And the U.S. military and possibly the, um, the U.S. intelligence agencies are probably just fine with conducting zero strikes in Afghanistan. And the reason is, is the, the, particularly with the administration, it wants to keep Afghanistan out of the front, off the front page or out of the newspaper period. If the U.S. conducted a strike to kill a senior Al Qaeda leader or even a senior Islamic state leader inside of Afghanistan, then it's an admission that they're still there. And what were we told over the last several years um, prior to the withdrawal? Al-Qaeda's dead. Al-Qaeda's decimated. It's defeated. Uh, it's, it's, it's reduced to nothing. Um, so all of, you know, if we conduct a strike while the Taliban is controlling Afghanistan, the other thing that we were told was that the Taliban would denounce Al-Qaeda. Uh, Zalmay Khalizahid basically said the same thing, uh, just the other day in a series of tweets saying that we should engage the Taliban. Um, perhaps he should read the latest, the uh, UN rep report on the, the situation in Afghanistan from the United Nations analytical, analytical support and sanctions monitoring team. Uh, again, now we'll get to that next. Uh, if, any any strike brings attention to the failure of Afghanistan, and this is, and the Biden administration does not want to draw attention to the failure of Afghanistan. Um, so I suspect this may have a role in part of the reason why we're not doing anything there. And that gets to now to the third point: um, the Taliban Al Qaeda nexus it remains strong. And a recent report by the United Nations Analytical Support and Sanctions Monitoring Team. Uh, notes this. Um, first, the report states that, uh, Ayman al-Zawahiri, uh, he was the, he is the head of al-Qaeda, who he served as bin Laden's deputy on 9-11. So he's 21 plus years after 9-11, the, the man who was in second in command of, of al-Qaeda and who served as bin Laden's deputy, uh, is still alive. And not only he confirmed to be alive, um, but he's communicating freely now, according to the United Nations sanctions and uh, monitoring team. Um, the United, Na the, that report, um, also said that there were the Al Qaeda Taliban alliance remains strong. This should come to no, uh, as no surprise to readers of the Long War Journal or those of you who listen to, uh, or listening to Generation Jihad. You know that this is a, a point that we've made repeatedly. Um, we have documented how Al Qaeda supported the Taliban to take over portions of Afghanistan and the ultimate takeover of Afghanistan, how it provided assistance and advice during the, with the Taliban, uh, 
to the Taliban um, while it was negotiating with the U.S. And the United Nations report, the most recent report, is saying it's it's saying that uh, I'll just quote it. Um, it says Al Qaeda's leadership reportedly plays an advisory role with with the Taliban, and the groups remain close. End quote. So it's still happening. That alliance is still strong. Um, again, news that Zawahiri is alive. We've been very critical of um, folks like Hassan Hassan who were out there saying in November 2020 that uh, that Zawahiri was dead, authoritatively stating this. And the rest of the counterterrorism field, um, and then, as well as news organization, picked this up and run with it as it was tr- as if it was truth. Uh, Tom Jocelyn and I were warning that we have no evidence of this. Um, and the UN is saying yet again that Zawahiri is alive and he's, and the UN also, it, you have to read between the line, lines in the report, but it's basically saying not only is Zawahiri alive, but he's operating inside of Afghanistan on this. I spoke to Edmund Fitton Brown, who was the, um, he just uh, left the position as the head of the United Nations analytical support and sanctions monitoring team. Um, uh, I spoke to him the other day and, um, he, we're going to have him on the show in the near future and he'll give you more information on that. But folks, Zawahiri is operating inside of Afghanistan. Um, here I'm going to quote again for, uh, from the report. Uh, sometimes these things are so well written. It's just better, better for me to just read from them than to summarize them. It says, quote, member states, these are, these are the states that are giving the, uh, the sanctions and, and, uh, monitoring team the information it says member states note that Zawahiri's apparent increased comfort and ability to communicate has coincided with the Taliban's takeover of Afghanistan and the consolidation of power of key Al-Qaeda allies within their de facto administration. So, end quote. What does that mean? That means that top leaders within the Taliban who hold key positions are allies with Al-Qaeda and they're providing Al-Qaeda the support and safe haven that they need. The most obvious one in, in, in on that list is Sarajuddin Haqqani, the son of Jalaluddin Haqqani, who was uh, famed Al-Qaeda, or I'm sorry, famed Taliban leader who uh, died several years ago. Sarajuddin, of course, is listed as a specially designated global terrorist for his ties to Al-Qaeda and for his, uh, his horrific terrorist attacks within a- Afghanistan. Um, We've been told that Sarajuddin, at, at, at least at some time, and it may still be true to this day, served as a member of Al-Qaeda's uh, Central Committee or its Shura Mijlais. Um, he's a, you know, a top supporter of Al-Qaeda. He is currently one of two deputy emirs of the Taliban. The other is Mullah Yaqub, who is the son of Mullah Omar. And Sarajuddin Haqqani is also the interior minister of Afghanistan. So he's the man who is in the interior ministry in Afghanistan issues passports. Uh, so you don't, you know, you don't have to, I don't have to paint a picture of to you of how dangerous it is that Sarajuddin Haqqani is or how he can abuse his position within Afghanistan. Um, you read this report and the, what you come away from is that Al Qaeda has safe haven in Afghanistan. The Taliban takeover of Afghanistan has been a boon for Al-Qaeda and other terrorist groups. Afghanistan is now in the Taliban's full control, right? Despite what resistance we talked about earlier, the Taliban controls Afghanistan, not 80% of it like pre-9-11, but 100% of Afghanistan. It's going to pursue those resistance, those resistance groups. And those groups are going to have trouble without getting support from countries like the United States. 
Um, and with Afghanistan and the Taliban control, Al Qaeda enjoys the same spoils it had within Afghanistan prior to 9-11. It has safe haven. It has with the ability to regroup, rest and train its fighters. It gives them the time and space and safety to plot and plan and execute attacks against the West. Um, except I would argue, I would argue that Al Qaeda is in a far better position than pre 9-11, given that the Taliban is in full control. Um, the U.S. left behind the infrastructure for the Taliban to actually govern, particularly, um, the military hardware and infrastructure bases and whatnot that the Taliban is, um, uh, is exploiting. And these are facilities and weapons that can be used to train Al Qaeda fighters. And I have no doubt is be being used to, um, help Al Qaeda, um, train its, its, uh, its next generation of leaders and fighters. Um, look, you know, the, the issue of safe haven and you, you don't have to believe me. You can go read the 9-11 commission report. And it'll tell you safe haven is the lifeblood of terror groups like Al Qaeda and the Islamic State. When they have that safe haven, their ability to do the things they need to do to focus their energy outward, to execute it, to continue plotting to take over other countries, um, to try to expand its caliphate and, um, and in the process to conduct attacks against U.S. and Western and allied interests. Um, in order to weaken us and to drive us to, to convince us to leave the region where they want to operate. Um, no one predicted that Al Qaeda would use airplanes to strike us on 9-11, to run, to ram airplanes in the Department of Defense and the Twin Towers and very likely into the White House. We don't really know the target of that third of, of the, um, the flight that went down over Pennsylvania. But now Al Qaeda has the time and space and safety to, to innovate. I don't want to f- figure out what their next attack is. And none of us should want to give them the time and space to do this. It's, um, this is, this is what keeps me up at night. I understand that the world has become far more complex than it was. Um, you know, in the days after 9-11, we have uh, a resurgent Russia to deal with. We have an expansionist China. These are threats. I do not uh, discount these. One of our problems has been, as the United States particularly, is that we are not good at dealing with more than one problem at a time. We proved this during the um, the at the height of the war on terror. We um, look. We lost Afghanistan, and you can call Iraq a push at best. I would call it a defeat after the U.S. withdrew in 2011. By the end of 2013. Al Qaeda in Iraq started taking over areas in Western, uh, Anbar province in Iraq. And then within six months of that, by the, by mid 2014, took control of an area the size of Britain between along the border of, um, of, uh, Iraq and Syria. Um, the U S had to re-enter Iraq and support and work with groups like Shia militias supported by Iran and the, the, um, Kurdistan Workers Party or PKK, which was rebranded as the Syrian Democratic Forces. Um, a PKK obviously is a, a specially designated global terrorist group that's responsible for the deaths of tens of thousands of civilians in, inside of Turkey. Um, there's no way you can look at Iraq and Afghanistan and, and view these, either of those theaters of the long war as a, a U.S. success by any measure. Um, and with these additional problems, 
and the, the particularly this administration's desire for for Afghanistan to fall off the news cycle. I think these are very dangerous times. And Al- again, I, I've said it numerous times on this podcast, but Al Qaeda now has the time and space to innovate. And that is something I don't want to see. And I will end this pod, this cheery podcast on that very happy and optimistic note. Um, Generation Jihad, um, generally is a downbeat podcast. I recognize this. This is not the place to come if you're looking for sunshine and unicorns. Um, this is due to, our lack of commitment, our government's lack of commitment and lack of focus in this war. It has nothing to do, you know, I know, I know those of you who listen, who have supported the efforts to, to, to fight our enemies. You're not the ones I'm pointing the finger at here. All right. Well, look, everyone, thanks for joining me on this uh, ep- latest episode of Generation Jihad. Um, just a reminder, you can find us on YouTube, Apple, Spotify, and anywhere else you listen to podcasts. Uh, Make sure you subscribe and leave us a review, preferably a positive one. Thanks again. We'll see you again soon.